Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. The Gospel of Mark, as Darren walked us through it last week, um, really has this, it, it's almost, you can almost graph it. You can almost look at it as, 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 a, uh, as a graphic where, where at the beginning, framed by chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus uh, announces and in his announcing brings to reality uh, the fact that the kingdom of God is, is within the grasp of those uh, who are hearing him. Uh, Jesus, like his father, has the ability to speak and what he says becomes actualized in reality. So God says, let there be light, and there's light. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is available, and the kingdom of God becomes available. Do you see? In his speaking, something occurs. Uh, and so the rest of his ministry, as Darren, the rest of his conversation, as Darren pointed out last week, is, is about Jesus' inviting us into that reality and uh, and, and, and unpacking for us the wonder of the good news that that which, which we as a Jewish nation or as the human race have longed for, hoped for, prayed for, desired, worked towards ever since we were born and before uh, in generations past is actually beginning to come to pass. God is on the move. 
the, the, the trumpet has sounded, the cavalry is coming over the ridge, whatever imagery you want to use to suggest that, that wonder is about to break out on the planet. But good news always has a flip side, and that is this. When God's kingdom comes, that means you are no longer king. When God's kingdom comes, the things that you have relied on to order and organize your life all get set aside. And here's the problem for Jesus. We want His kingdom simply to overlay our kingdoms and make them better. We want Him to help us negotiate the broken places of our lives with a greater degree of success than we have been able to negotiate them so far. And we want Him to leave alone the things that we're managing well, which are considerable. So we think. Jesus isn't interested in playing our silly little game. And so He spends the first half of the Gospel of Mark inviting us, first of all, to come and live... Second of all, to come and serve. And then as we cross over chapter 8 and begin the descent down the other side of the graphic, He wants us to come with Him and die. Because He knows what we don't know or knowing don't wish to acknowledge. And that is unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. He knows that the tighter we cling to the life we think we have, the less capacity we actually have for the life that only He can give us. He knows this. So He's not coming to, to kind of put a, a, a veneer of icing over our stuff. Jesus does not come to make your life better. He comes to kill you and invite you to the life on the other side of death. Now, it's easy for us at some level to hear all of that. But I need you to sit with what it meant for that first century church, with those first century people to hear. Because I suspect that even though we hear it and we put it into place and we, okay, yeah, you know, that, that makes sense. The radical working out of this is just really tough, isn't it? Really hard. So this is where we're at. Um, we've come out of chapter 10. Jesus has, has, has left Jericho early in the morning on a Sunday morning, just after sunrise, and is making his way with the throng of pilgrims uh, up, towards, up the mountain towards Jerusalem. It's a journey that takes, uh, they, they budget a day for it. You overnight in Jericho, and you make your way up to Jerusalem and spend the rest of the week there. We're moving into Independence Day called Passover the day in which we celebrate our, our forming as a nation, the day in which we celebrate our deliverance from our harsh overlords in Egypt, the day in which we, 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 we uh, nationalistic fervor is at its highest. The, the, the stealth bombers are flying over the parade route. 
just in a, uh, the, the flags are flying in the breeze, the illegal flags that the Roman government has asked us to take down. They're flying in the breeze as we assert our independence. You with me? So it's, it's this, this kind of celebrational moment that, that Jesus... And so he joins the throng of pilgrims moving out from Jericho. There's a, there's a guy on the side of the road who's blind. His name is Bartimaeus. He calls out to Jesus and asks for mercy. Jesus is merciful for, on him. And now the pilgrims throng is, 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 is increased by one more member. As Bartimaeus begins to make his way with Jesus to Jerusalem. And sometimes it seems that only Bartimaeus, the blind guy, and Jesus see what's really actually coming. Everybody else is blinded by their expectations of what they want to be coming, what they want to happen. How many of you know what that feels like? You, you, you want something so much that you can't see what actually occurs, Right? It gets in the way. Your expectations blind you to the capacity for reality. Okay? So that's what we're, we're, we pick up the story in chapter 1, or chapter 11, rather, verse 1. By the way, we've got some Bibles along the sides here. Uh, maybe if I can get a couple of guys to give me a hand. Does anybody need one? If, uh, if you do, just stick your hand up and we'll make sure you get one. Anybody? You all came? Brought one? We got one right at the back there, uh, Kevin. Thank you. And, and up here on this side, if you would, please. Thanks, Jordan. And uh, over up here. There we go. Thank you. So we're on page 708 in this, uh, this version of it. It's Matthew, or Mark, rather, chapter 11. We're coming out of chapter 10, so we're verse 1 of chapter 11. Anybody else? Good? All right. So here we go. As they approached Jerusalem... And came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, if anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. He'll send it back shortly. They went. They found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. So they untied it, and as they were doing so, some people standing there said, What are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and the people let them go. When they finally brought the colt then to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. Others were spreading branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back home or back out to Bethany with the twelve. This um, story uh, is, is framed, as most of the New Testament is, against the backdrop of Old Testament stories and Old Testament reality. The two that frame this one are Zechariah 9.9, which is the one that Matthew um, emphasizes in his recounting of this story, and Psalm 118 verses uh, 25 and 26, which is the one that Mark uses 
to frame his understanding of this story. Mark, uh, uh, um, the, the passage in Psalms is a coronation psalm. That is, it is a song that was written to be used when a king was crowned. It is the language of the, of the adoring masses as the new king marches up and assumes his throne. You with, you with me? So that's the framing language that is used by the crowd. And Mark uses this to signal what their expectations were of Jesus. We've talked about this, this before. So here Jesus is leaving. He comes up to these two little villages, Bethany and Bethphage. Kind of two little, not even a stoplight, not even a hiccup on, on the sides of the road, just as a kind of an overnight place. Uh, it was an agricultural, small agricultural communities. These are, these are not um, um, cities. They are not even really towns. They're not even really villages. They're kind of a collection of houses of farm laborers is basically what you've got here. Um, and, and built around the economy of figs and dates. That's what these two... Two cities, cities, little towns, little villages represent. Jesus has spent time in and around Bethany. His, his best friends uh, live there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live there. Uh, it's about two miles out from the border boundary uh, wall of, of, of Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So they, they are approaching these two cities. The, the crowd is moving along with them. The buzz is in the air. It's electric with me on that, right? And, and, and he says to his disciples, go into this, uh, one of these villages, we don't know which one, and, and, and there you will find a colt tied up. Um, and untie it and, and, and bring it. So Jesus is signaling to them that he is going to ride, and this is the passage from Zechariah, into Jerusalem on a colt. Matthew says it's, it tells us that it's a donkey, which, which completely turns upside down the expectations of the moment, which we'll get to in just a second. Now, now a lot of people have said, how does Jesus see this? Is he seeing into the future and seeing a cult there and, and giving them language for... No, I think Jesus has a friend who lives in Bethany or Bethphage and says, look, I'm going to need your cult for a little while. Can I borrow it for three or four hours? I think that's all that Mark is trying to say to us here. So Jesus just has made an arrangement. It, it's even possible that the owner of the colt is one of the, the guys that is traveling in the kind of the group. And so, so Jesus says, look, there's a colt tied up there. We've made arrangements. It's going to be there. So when you get there and you find the colt, just untie it and bring it here. If anybody says, what are you doing? Just tell them the, the, the Lord has, has, has need of it. Uh, and, and we unfortunately have translated this to mean the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, God, has, has need. No, it's just the boss needs it. The owner needs it. That's, that's all it means. So in other words, Jesus has made an arrangement with this guy. If they get stopped, all they need to say is, no, the, the boss wants it. Okay. And away we go. That's, that's all that is happening there. The reason I want to make this point is, I, I want you to notice how ordinary this is. Jesus, Jesus doesn't rent a stallion. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't hire a, a, a chariot. Right? He, he, does, he, he borrows a Yugo. 
He, he borrows, a, a, what's, a, what's a, a, a Corolla? He's riding through an open-top Corolla. I mean, you, you with me? It's not, it's not a Lincoln Continental. It's, it's, it's not a Cadillac. It's, 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 a, it's a Colt that has been previously used to carry packages. When it says it's unbroken, it doesn't mean it needs to be broken. It means that it has been used as a beast of burden to carry packages, baskets of fruit having been harvested in the field. That's all it means. So find, in other words, a young horse, a colt, that has not ever been ridden but has been broken by being used, used as a beast of burden. And I'll be a beast of burden. I mean, I'll be the burden for the beast. You with me? Now, please notice what Jesus is doing here. He's totally inverting their understandings of what in the world is going on here. So, but they don't get it. They cover it up with, with a blanket. All right, well, you know, apparently somebody screwed up the arrangements. John? I mean, we put in, you know, long enough. You showed up at Hertz, and this was what they had left. What? What? Oh, well, okay, we'll just make... The, that's the kind of imagery we get. And they begin to put their, 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 their cloaks in front, and they, they, they pick up branches and, and palm branches and whatnot, lay them in front, and, and then they start to sing Psalm 118. They start to sing the national anthem. They start to sing the coronation song. They're singing, God save the king, if you will. They're singing... Um, God bless America. They're singing, God bless Jerusalem. God bless, God save Israel. Now, from what? From the Roman oppressors. This is, our, this is, this is the, the week of our independence. And you can feel the... Can you, anybody else feel the pressure building? The momentum building for this? And so, so Jesus has screwed up the symbol. Okay, fine, we can, we can work with it. We can work with it. We can work with it. And so they're, 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 the song, and you can hear through the narrow streets as they make their way through before and behind. Hosanna, save us. And from in front, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And back and forth and the echo of the, of the cry in the narrow streets and you can just hear the crowd beginning, the you can hear it three or four or five blocks away as men and women are drawn. God save us! God save us! Hosanna! Blessed is the coming kingdom, it says in verse 10, of our father David. Oh, wait. Somebody didn't get the memo. For three and a half years, please notice here, Mark has taken... Ten chapters to cover three and a half years. And he's going to take seven chapters to cover seven days. He wants us, having heard this backstory, to slow down and do a slow walk through this next week. Three and a half years, what has Jesus been saying? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. The kingdom of God is descending upon you. And what do they cry in their coronation psalm? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and establishes the kingdom of our father, 
David. Who's David? The last and first great king of Israel who established us in this city. This is David's capital city. This is the city that David established as the center of his monarchy. And now a descendant of David comes to reestablish us in our rightful place. That was their hope. That was their demand. That was their expectation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who comes to establish again the kingdom, the military, the political kingdom of David. This is that king's coronation song. Got it? And then what happens? It's like a scene from a Monty Python movie. Have you noticed this? These, I mean, you've got this. You've got, you've got, you've got, you've got the bagpipers. You've got the drummers. You've got the big brass band. They're blowing the national anthem. Everybody is in this nationalistic fervor, right? They are moving. They are ready to march on the Roman garrison. And then where's the guest of honor? He's taken a side street. He's turned left. The rest of the parade just keeps right on going without him. He's taken a side street. Look at what it says here. In verse 11, he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. Wait, 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 wait. This is not where we launch a revolution. You know that big square? That place, that square of judgment in front of the Roman garrison? You know where Pilate has his, has his, has his governor's mansion? Yeah, that's where we're all going. Jesus, go with us. And Jesus is just, and, 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 and what a letdown. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. Okay, okay, well, all right, we got the colt wrong. Maybe we can, okay, we can work with this. We can work with this. And what does he do there? He looks around. It's not like he's never been there before. I mean, he's not like a tourist. He just looks around and then says, ah, it's too late. Let's go home. You ever get that feeling when you're following Jesus? Oh, fine. What is he doing? Well, first of all, he's disappointing people left, right, and center. If you have not been disappointed with Jesus, you're not following him closely enough. But what he's really doing is saying, I'm so sorry, folks. I'm not coming to make your life better. I'm not coming to take your tiny little pretensions of a kingdom and give you the capacity to actualize it. Because when I, if I did, and I could, by the way, how many know he could? If I did that, you'd think that was heaven. You'd think that was the kingdom of God. You'd think that all was right with the world. If I come and fix your marriage, you'll think everything's just fine. 
If I come and heal your kids, you'll think everything's just fine. I will negotiate the rest of my life with this new thing. Thank you so much, Jesus. I appreciate it. I'll get back to you when I need you again. Sorry, folks. I'm not going to come to your kingdom. I'm just, I'm just not going to... No, Jesus, just give me a job. I'll be fine. I'll serve. I'll even tithe this time. Really? No, really, I will. Really. And, and, and you know, the lottery would be helpful to, to like, fill up the back. And I'll... I'll eat. No. You don't know what is good for you. How many of you want to push back hard on that? I do. Of course I know what's good for me. Of course I know what I want. Of course I know what I have. Of course I know what the desires of my heart are. Of course I know. Of course I know. No, you don't. No, you really don't. We're standing on the side of the road of our capital city, whatever it is, and we're saying, Lord, help me out here. Save me here. Come to me here. Help me negotiate my reality a little bit better than I can do on my own. And he comes into the very center of your heartbeat and he looks around and he leaves town. I'll get back to you. Next week, he's going to come back. And please notice, up to this point, Jesus has been going toe-to-toe with, primarily with spiritual forces aligned against him, demonic presences and so on and so forth. He doesn't do that from here on out. Who is he allied against now? The religious leaders, the people of the system, the good folks who have it all together but need just a little bit of help to get rid of the minor irritation of the Roman occupying army. If we can do that, we're good to go. We've got a, we've got a code of ethics that enables us to know how to live. It served us not particularly well, but this time we'll get it right. And Jesus is basically saying, folks, No. No. You don't realize how sick you really are. You think you've got a hangnail. You think you've got an infection. No. Here's the image. that um, There's three or four ways of trying to get at this. And Alex had a brilliant description of this this morning after the, after the first thing. She says it's, it's, like, it's like we want him to come and patch our raggedy rags so that we can continue to maintain the illusion that we're well-dressed. Jesus does not want to put a patch on your clothing. He wants to strip you naked and give you a new suit. Really? That's embarrassing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How embarrassing is it, however, to think you're dressed to the nines only to discover the back of your trousers has fallen out? Yeah, I just need a little bit of a patch, some crazy glue, maybe a staple gun. Oh! But that's how we negotiate our lives, right? Or here's a, wor- here's a worse one. We think we've got cancer. That it's, a, for the most part, a healthy body. But we've got cancer 
a dark spot in a, in a, in, in, in a, in a lung or a dark spot in a breast or a dark spot in a, in a, in a, in a lymph gland. We, we, and all we really need, all we really need, all we really need is radical surgery. And, and we're willing to undergo the knife because once that cancer is removed, once that radiation hits the healthy and sick cells all around it and, and, and destroys the network that has produced the contagion, once the chemo has, has flooded the system with, with toxicity and, and, and it has died, then we're going to be fine. We'll be good to go. We just have a cancer. It's malignant. It's spreading. I get it. I get it. Jesus, Dr. Jesus, come and remove the cancer in my soul. Radiate me however you need to. Flow through that, that chemo regimen. Requires the nurse to have a hazmat suit to administer it. Just do that, Jesus. And, and then restore me to my life as it was before the cancer. And Jesus says, I'm so sorry. You have no idea how sick you are. The truth your whole body is cancer and there is one tiny heartbeat of life left. And I am coming for that. The kingdom of God does not come to overarch and make better our kingdoms. The kingdom of God comes to conquer us. It's an upside-down, inside-out kingdom. Or so it appears to those of us who in fact are upside-down and inside-out and front-to-back. Do, do, do you see, what I'm, see where I'm going with this? It's as if, it's as if, it's as if you, 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 know, you know how, it's as if you put your shirt on backwards. Jesus says your life is like that in, in a... In a, in a on steroids. Your life is like that. It, it just feels awkward. It feels uncomfortable. It feels like you don't quite fit in your own skin. It's as if it's, every once in a while you see, see the power of nature or you, you, you feel the twinge of conscience. We were dealing with this in, in our Advent series, weren't we? Where, where we were realizing we're not built to be consumers. We're not built for it. Now, we can learn it, but it's like learning to bat left-handed if you're right-handed. We, we can learn how to do it, but it feels awkward. It feels not quite right. Well, that's because it isn't right. It's not you that's broken, per se. It's the system. And the more you try and conform to that system, the more false and fraudulent your life, quote, becomes, and the cancer spreads. It's like, it's like Jesus has to reach in. You know, you know how sometimes it is a sock comes out of the dryer inside out? How do you... And you just shake it a few times and it'll straighten out. No, you have to reach in there, grab the thing by the right side and pull it out. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to reach down into the very center of your life and grab a hold of you on the inside of your belly button and pull you back into yourself. Graphic image. I tried to think of a better one. 
How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you know I'm inside out and upside down and front to back and I don't need somebody to make it better. I need somebody to give me a new life. That's what He's coming to do. That's why He's not going to play your game. He's not going to fix your marriage. He's not going to heal you. He's not going to make your kids better. That's all secondary. That's all tertiary. That's all down the line. He can do any and all of those things. But what would He benefit us if He actually did that? We'd just get used to living inside or not, upside down and front to back. He wants to teach you a whole new way to live. Because the kingdom has come. Part of the reason I'm so passionate about this this morning is because He has reached in at the center of my being. I spent huge chunks of my life just wanting Jesus to make things better. Just help me deal with this self-destructive behavior. Just make it possible for me to resist temptation. Just make my wife better. Prayed that for years. I'd be a better husband if I just had a clued-in wife. Can I get a witness? All right. <laughs> and, and, and the truth? Truth? Judy's not the problem. She's not the problem. He could fix her in the way that I think he ought to fix her, and she'd still be married to me. It's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord standing in the need of destruction. I don't need help. I need mercy killing. Hard language. I got to get through. This city needs a community of people who have been pulled right side out. It needs a community of people who understand that the kingdom is coming. I'm going to invite you to be part of that community. Let's spend a few minutes. I'm just going to invite you to let that sit. Jamie and, and, and uh, our worship team are coming back. But uh, we want to create space in a few minutes uh, for those of you who, for whom we can pray about this or about some other issues you're dealing with, some struggles you're having things you're walking through. The garden is a place in which we really believe the kingdom has come and that that resurrection, po resurrection power of Christ is available to meet people at the places and points of their needs. But um, I, I'm going to invite you into this, into this story a little bit. All right? So let's just sit with it for a few minutes. And then I'm going to invite our, our prayer team and, and any of you who would care to have us pray with you uh, to come forward. We're not in a big hurry this morning. Uh, so let's just uh, spend some time. Our hearts are open. Our hearts are open. Thank you.
space for the presence to dwell and to move. Spear!